evidence and answers. Angels and demons. How much do you know about them? What kind of questions have you wanted to ask, but did not know where to go? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, listen as Pat will be answering some of the most popular questions regarding angels and demons in this two-part message. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran with part one. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and provide biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, one of the fun things we like to do here at Evidence and Answers is we like to answer the questions that come to us throughout the year. Throughout the year, many of you ask us some great questions regarding the culture, apologetics, theology, world religions, And we take those questions and we gather them and questions that are really challenging and interesting. We categorize them and put them together to make a radio show. And so if you want to ask me a question regarding the culture, apologetics, the world religions, theology, email me at pat at evidenceandanswers.org. And I look forward to answering those questions. It really helps me learn and address the issues that you're facing today. But one of the fun things you might find is that if it's a really good question... You might find me answering it here on the radio. And so we categorize our questions in different categories. And one of the most popular categories of questions we get are questions on angels and demons. And so for the next few days, I'm going to address some of the toughest, most challenging questions regarding angels and demons. Just a fascinating theological topic. And wherever I travel around the world, Probably the second or third most popular category of questions I get asked is in regards to angels and demons. And if you look at the movies out there being produced by Hollywood and the culture, and you go looking at some of the best-selling books out there in bookstores like Barnes & Nobles and others, you'll discover books about angels and demons and spiritual beings. They're some of the most popular movies out there and some of the most popular best-selling books that are out there today. So let's answer some of these tough questions about angels and demons. First, tough questions about angels. First question I have here is, why are the angels called the sons of God? Great question here. Angels are referred to as sons of God in several places throughout the Old Testament. Job chapter 1 verse 6, chapter 2 verse 1, and chapter 38 verse 7. And in several other places in the Old Testament, the angels are referred to as the sons of God. Why is that? Well, the term son of can carry various meanings depending on the context. When used in reference to angels, the meaning is different than when used in reference to Jesus. Angels are the sons of God in the sense that they are created directly by the hand of God. According to Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, Angels do not marry, and so angels do not procreate, so there are no little angels or sons of angels. Therefore, every angel is created directly by the hand of God, and that's why they're referred to as the sons of God. Now, how does this relate to Jesus being called the Son of God? Well, Jesus is superior to the angels. In nature, Jesus is the unique one and only divine Son of God. Hebrews 1 verses 4 through 5 states, Having become as much superior to the angels 
He is superior in nature and in kind to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Well, those are rhetorical questions. To which of the angels did God ever say that? Well, none, because Jesus is the one and only unique divine Son of God. Jesus is God's only Son, and so He is superior in nature to the angels. In other words, Jesus is not an angel, but a being far superior to them. He is God the Son. As God, Jesus is eternal. He's not created like the angels. The angels are created beings, but Christ is eternal. Colossians 1.16 states that Jesus even created the angels. It states, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is the unique Son of God. There's none like him. He is eternal, and he is the creator. And he even created the angels. So angels are referred to as sons of God, for there are many of them, and they're created directly by the hand of God. But Jesus is the unique Son of God, being that there's none other like him. He is eternal, and he even created the angels. So that is why the angels are called the sons of God. And you have to look carefully at the context to see how that phrase is being used. That's a great question there. Now let's move to the second question is, when were the angels created? Now this is a very interesting question. The angels were created sometime prior to the creation of the earth. Job 38 verse 7 states that the angels sang for joy when the earth was created. So this would mean somewhere before Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, the first day of creation, is when the angels were created. They're created prior to day 1 of Genesis 1-3. See, you need to read the text carefully. Genesis 1-1 states, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a summary statement there. Out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word for created there is bara. Out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 states, now the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. You see, before day one, the earth was already there. The universe was already there. Verse 2 says the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The universe was already there. The earth, the planet earth was there, but it's in a lifeless state before day one of creation. Then in verse 3, it says, then God said, let there be light. So before day one, the universe already exists, but it's in a lifeless state. Now, how long has the universe been in that state? Well, we don't know, right? The text doesn't tell us. So the angels appear to be part of the creation before day one, when God begins his activity of bringing life to the earth, which is found formless and void and enshrouded in darkness. So the angels were around before day one. God creates the universe and all that there is in chapter one, verse one. And remember in verse two, the earth is found formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So a lifeless planet is there. So it's probably before day one when the angels were created. Now, third question, do Christians have a guardian angel? This is a very popular teaching 
one that I was taught back when I first came to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that I have an angel, one on my left and one on my right. In fact, Christians even told me that they could feel a hand on their shoulder sometimes throughout the day. So do Christians have a guardian angel? Well, there are two passages that may refer to the idea of a guardian angel for each person. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus rebukes the teachers of the law for chasing away the little children from him. And Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. So some take it that each child here has a guardian angel. In Acts chapter 12, we find the believers praying for the release of Peter who had been thrown in prison. When, as they are praying, Peter himself arrives and knocks at the door. Now, a woman named Rhoda answers the door and is so surprised at who she sees, she leaves Peter at the door and runs to tell those praying, it's Peter. Well, the Christians gathered there in prayer. They can't believe it either. And they tell her, you're out of your mind. It's his angel. So from these two passages, theologians have concluded that every believer has their own guardian angel. Now, from these two passages, it is possible to conclude that each believer has a guardian angel, but the evidence is not very strong there. However, these two passages do not provide convincing proof of this idea. Matthew 18.10 states that the angels of the little ones are in heaven not with the little ones. So there may not be one guardian angel for every believer, but that's not necessarily bad news. There is good news. The Bible seems to teach that in times of need, there are a multitude of angels that serve God's people in their time of need. For example, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, the Syrians have surrounded the nation of Israel and they're about to attack and Elisha's servant is in fear and he looks to Elisha and says what shall we do now and Elisha stated do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them then Elisha prayed and said oh Lord please open his eyes that he may see so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha so there wasn't just one angel coming to the aid of Elisha at that time, but a host, an army of angels. Psalm 91 verse 11 through 12 states, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So you see in verse 11 there, he will command his angels in the plural. It's talking about the protection on believers there. So it seems like in our times of need, we're protected by a myriad of angels, not just one or two guardian angels. So there could be one or two guardian angels for every believer, but I think the passages that support that, you can't build a very convincing case. It seems like throughout the Bible, in our time of great need, that there are a myriad of angels or an army of angels or multitude of angels that come to the aid of God's people in their time of need. You know, the fourth question, can angels take on the appearance of men? Well, the answer is yes. 
You know, throughout the Bible, we see angels in very interesting forms. The cherubim have faces of various animals, the seraphim also in multiple wings. But there are also times when the angels take on the appearance of men. Angels are spirit beings who are not generally not visible to the human eye. However, there are times in the Bible when angels take on physical form. And when they did, they appeared as men. Hebrews 13 verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In Genesis 18, Abraham speaks to three men in the plains of Mamre. One, of course, is the angel of the Lord or the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. But the other two are angels and they appeared as men and they walked, talked and ate with Abraham. In Genesis 19, two of the angels go to Sodom and Gomorrah and the men of Sodom and Gomorrah wish to rape these visitors, not knowing they were angels. So it is apparent that the men of Sodom could not tell that these men were angels. They thought they were men. Well, how would you know whether we have had an encounter with an angel? Well, it appears that we would not know if the individual before us is an angel unless they reveal their identity to us and then they display their glory or perform a supernatural feat. So since it is very difficult to identify an angel, fun thing to think about, but perhaps maybe you did meet an angel sometime in your life. Who knows? So angels do indeed appear as men, as human beings, when they manifest themselves in the scriptures. Generally, you cannot see angels, but when they do manifest themselves, they seem to be able to appear as men. Now, a question related to that that I get often is this. Are there female angels? Well, that's a really tough one because every time angels appear in the Bible, they appear as male. We don't have any appearance of a female angel and no female angels are mentioned in the Bible. In Matthew 22 verse 30 states that the angels do not marry. So it appears that there are only male angels that God created. There could be female angels, but we don't know about them because none are mentioned in the scriptures. And it's very interesting that of the myriad of angels that are talked about, never is there any mention of a female angel or angels of that gender. So it appears that there are only male angels. Now, another question related to angels is this. Can angels be saved, especially those who have turned away from Christ and are now part of Satan's demonic army, can they be saved? Well, the Bible teaches that Christ died for humans only and not for angels. Perhaps one of the reasons is that angels dwelt in the very presence of God, and therefore they had an opportunity to see the glory of God face to face. So it seems that once they made their choice to serve God or to turn against Him, their decision sealed their fate. And those who turned against God have no desire to repent and are therefore destined for eternal punishment. Unlike us who have not been able to see or be in the presence of the glory of God's throne, the angels were. And for those who've turned away, it seems like they will have no desire to turn or repent. And so the death of Christ then is only reserved for human beings. And the fate of angels have already been sealed. So it does not appear that angels 
can be saved by trusting in the death of Jesus Christ, that the death of Christ seems to be reserved only for human beings. Well, here's another one. Here's another question that I get asked a lot. Do humans become angels at death? You know, there are many popular movies that teach this concept. You know, some of our favorites include It's a Wonderful Life. Another one is The Preacher's Wife and Walt Disney's Angels in the Outfield. They teach that humans become angels when they die. Well, this is an attractive idea, but the Bible teaches that humans are distinct from angels. Hebrews 1.14 states that the angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. In other words, angels serve the people of God. Psalm chapter 8, verse 5, the psalmist writes that in our earthly state, we are presently a little lower than the angels. So there's a difference in kind between humans and the angels. And in glory, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 states that the people of God will one day judge the angels. Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 23 states, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festive gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So in this passage, we catch a glimpse of heaven where there dwells innumerable angels and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, or the spirits of the righteous humans. So this passage makes a distinction between angels and humans. So even in our eternal state, there's a difference there in heaven between angels and humans. So humans do not become angels at death. In Matthew 22, Jesus is questioned about marriage in heaven, and Jesus responds that in our glorified heavenly state, he said the redeemed are like the angels in heaven. Jesus didn't say that we become angels, but we are like the angels, showing we will be similar and that we will not be married. But there is a distinction, even in heaven, between humans and angels. So the Bible teaches that angels were created as angels and are distinct creatures from humans. Humans will not become angels at death. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches that at death, we will not become angels, but we will receive our glorified and eternal body that will be eternal and glorified like similar in several ways to the glorified resurrected body of Christ, but we will not be transformed into angels. Well, those are some of the tough questions regarding the angels. Now, some people ask, what is the difference between an elect angel and a non-elect angel? Well, elect angels are the angels who remain faithful to Jesus Christ and serve him. Non-elect angels or fallen angels are those who followed Satan in the rebellion and are doomed for the day of judgment. So those are the difference between those two. Well, those are some of the most popular questions we got regarding angels. Now, we just finished talking about elect angels or the angels of God, the good guys here. We get a lot of questions about fallen angels as well or demons. So let me address a few questions regarding demons. Now, one of the most popular questions I get asked is, can Christians become demon-possessed? And it appears in the Bible, that Christians cannot be demon-possessed. 
Demon possession is defined as a demon residing in a person and takes control over the person. Now, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, a believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it's highly unlikely that God, the Holy Spirit, would share his temple with the devil. 1 John 4, 4 states, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So if the Holy Spirit is greater than the devil, how could he yield control to the devil who is inferior in power? In the Bible, there is no case of a Christian being demon-possessed, but there are occasions when believers are harassed or tempted by the devil, but never possessed by the devil. Now, a related question to that is, what can Satan do to Christians? Well, Satan never ends in his attempt to destroy God's plan and destroy God's people. The scripture teaches that Satan can indeed tempt the believer. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 and 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 5 teach that Satan indeed can tempt the believer. He tempted Christ, so if he could tempt Christ, certainly he can tempt the believer. Satan can lie or deceive the believer throughout the scriptures, especially in the New Testament. In Paul's letters, we see that Satan introduces false doctrines and false teachings into the church. And Paul, Peter, and John must address many of those false teachings. And the ultimate power behind false and deceptive teaching is indeed the devil himself. So Satan can lie or deceive the believer. Satan can tempt the believer to commit immoral acts, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. He hinders the work of the believer in any way he can, 1 Thessalonians 2, 18. And he plants false believers in the church, Matthew chapter 13. And Satan incites persecutions against the believers, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Satan can also plant doubt in the minds of the believers. Genesis chapter 3, that's exactly how he deceived Adam and Eve. Satan seeks to build pride in the hearts of believers. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. Paul warns Timothy not to put a young person in the position of elder or leader, lest he become proud and be tempted by the devil. And Satan can often lead a believer from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there were those who served Christ, but indeed not from a pure heart, but from selfish motives. And as a result, were in danger of falling prey to the temptation of the devil. Therefore, the believers called to put on the full armor of God against the attacks and schemes of the devil. So although Satan and the demons cannot possess a believer, they are constantly attacking the believer. Second Peter states that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. All right, Not just cripple, but to devour, just to completely destroy. Satan hates God, and he hates God's plan, and he hates God's people. All right, That's what drives him to seek to destroy the life of believer, to destroy their family and their testimony for Christ. So every believer, all who call upon the name of Christ, must be diligent daily to put on their full armor, as stated in Ephesians chapter 6, 
that they may extinguish the fiery darts that are launched by the enemy constantly upon the life of a believer. Now, those are some of the most challenging questions we've got about angels and demons. We've got a lot more that I'll answer next time here on Evidence and Answers. So thank you for joining us. And send your tough questions to pat at evidenceandanswers.org. It's great to receive your questions. And it's a great learning opportunity for me as I take time to study and answer these questions. So I want to thank those of you who listen to our show and especially those who interact with me on Evidence and Answers. So send your tough questions to pat at evidenceandanswers.org. I'll try to answer them individually, but also if they're great questions, you may find them answered here right on the radio here at Evidence and Answers. So we'll see you next time here on Evidence and Answers as we answer some more tough questions. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoy Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You will find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Please share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Join us next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh,